Well, good morning. Once again, um, if you don't know me, that's okay. Uh, no, I, I, I'm the pastor here. I'm Stephen Ambrose, and, and we truly are glad to be with you today. Um, this week starts off uh, a series um, called Whole and Holy. And uh, I just kind of want to start off by saying that um, there is no one in this room, no one that you know that is not touched or affected or impacted by mental health issues. You know as well as I do that every individual fights battles that, that you don't even know of. And you actually sitting here may be fighting something today that you haven't verbalized, you haven't vocalized to yourself or to anybody else. Um, and you're carrying some things. Um, this is new. Uh, if, if you're new to church or to this church, um, I can just vouch. I've been around for a little while. But there are not many churches that talk about this subject um, or those things therein. Um, this just really isn't talked about. And quite frankly, um, it's not really talked about in society unless you are a mental health worker. It just isn't. And quite frankly, more often than not, it's only talked about when tragedy occurs. And as we stand here and sit here today, we've seen tragedy in our country in the last week, in the last several weeks, through this summer. And this is the hot topic button, mental health. And so we need to have a discussion. We need to have conversation um, on all aspects. And there's stigma with mental health. There are, it's almost taboo, uh, particularly in the church, because we often think that, well, I have Jesus, I'm good, and I shouldn't feel this way, or I shouldn't think this way, or I shouldn't be carrying this. And that's not entirely true. And so um, we need to engage in this. And so this idea... I'll just kind of give you some, some background. This idea um, happened, this is like six, seven months ago when Matthew and I were sermon planning for the year. Um, and we were trying to think through and pray through what are some things we need to have discussions about and conversations about through Scripture. And this is one of them that came to mind. Myself, um, I'll just kind of let you know and peel back some some layers and let you see behind the curtain. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I was a junior, and we heard over the intercom in second period French class that the most popular kid in the school, whose brother was in my class, was found dead because he committed suicide. As a undergrad student on the soccer team at Cumberland College, we had a soccer player who um, was there and then wasn't. 
And we couldn't figure out what happened. But he came back. Well, he left because he had a mental breakdown. He broke down. And it wasn't discussed. It wasn't talked about. And I was a, I was a, 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 a student of psychology at the time. That was my field of study. And no one talked about it. My, my brother is an 80, 82nd Airborne Ranger. Um, came out of the military years ago. But he continues to get phone calls from his buddies who are on the edge. And he himself has been on the edge. He carries PTSD. and He deals with it on the daily. My own family. My mom and dad, when I was 27, 28 years old, got a divorce. And in that divorce, there were a lot of things that happened. Yet, um, as a result, we had circumstantial depression as a result of the divorce. And my mom and my dad both went on medications to deal with that depression. My mom went to counseling. My dad went to counseling. Um, folks, we all deal with it. I personally, um, as we'll talk about next week, just briefly, I dealt with anxiety as a high school student um, deeply. Uh, and this past year, uh, early on, probably January, I told Amy, I don't know if she remembers this, I told my wife, I said, I don't feel myself. I don't feel like me. I'm not really happy. I don't feel like I'm being productive. I just am not myself for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I really think that I was dealing with some depression at the time, some anxiety. Um, folks, this is a real issue. And God desires for you and I to not only be holy, but to be whole. This is from the message. I don't know if your eyes can read it. I can't read that one, so i got to read this one. How blessed is God? And what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master Jesus Christ and takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. True, right? But there's also some low places in there. Long before He laid the earth's foundations, He had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of His love. You, in this room, are the focus of God's love. You. Your family. Your friends. Your neighbor. You. To be made whole and holy by His love. Long, long ago, He decided to adopt us into His family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure he took in planting this, planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. He desires each and every one of us not only to come into relationship with Jesus Christ, but to become holy like he is holy, because just as God is love, God is holy, but he also wants you to be whole, complete, mature. And so 
this is why we have this discussion today. And as we were planning, as we were talking through, I had no idea because I'd not heard of anybody doing this. Uh, I truly had no idea that there were any churches having this discussion. So what I did was I sent out an email um, to some of the respected pastors that have spoken into my life. And uh, I said, hey, I have this crazy idea. I'm not sure how it's going to work. I really don't know what I'm doing. But can anybody help me? Does anybody know any mental health therapists, any counselors that come from a biblical perspective um, that could really kind of speak into this and see what we could do? Well, lo and behold, um, yes, they do. And they kept coming up, Carrie Taylor. Go talk to Carrie Taylor. Carrie Taylor. Carrie Taylor. I was like, who's this Carrie Taylor? I know this Carrie Taylor. I know her and I know her husband. And so I said, a long email to Carrie. I said, here's, this is my flip top head. I'm going to word vomit on you. This is my idea. We need to have this discussion. Can you help me? She said, absolutely. And so Matthew and myself went to Cornerstone of Hope, which is in Shawnee, just a little bit before the roundabout. Um, and uh, we had this conversation, and we just started to open up. And as a result, here we go. So I, I'd like to introduce to you um, my friend, Carrie Taylor. Um, she's been definitely gracious to be with us today, to, uh, next week, and the week after, and the week after, and I told her probably till November. Um, no, I was just kidding. Um, but this is Carrie Taylor. Would you would you please welcome Carrie? Thank you. So Carrie, uh, it was I think May or June. I think it was May when we first met. I think that might be right. Um, and then we met. Uh, we had a lot of email conversation, mm -hmm. and then uh, we met again in August. And so, if you would be so kind um, to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, um, what you do, and why you do what you do. Absolutely. So I am the Executive Director of Cornerstone of Hope Christian Counseling uh, Center in Lima, Ohio, and um, uh, I am also a counselor, so I, I see clients as well as oversee our staff. Uh, we have, there are seven of us on staff, and we actually have a Bluffton office as well. And um, I, I love the opportunity that our staff has to really speak truth into people's hearts. We see people who come from a faith-based background, but they also, we, people come from all different walks of life, and we welcome them in. And we have this amazing privilege in, at Cornerstone to connect God's truth to people's everyday lives. That's one of our favorite things to do with our staff is to say, do you know what you're going through that God's word actually speaks to that? And here's some practical ways to apply that. We really see ourselves as equippers, uh, our staff does. We really believe that that's what Jesus has called us to, to equip people with the skills he gave us to use to manage um, life and to feel like they have hope. So, uh, so, and we have a school brace program that we've been actually been going into the schools and doing some things as well, and really um, proactively equipping young people with the skills they need to manage life in really healthy ways. So, uh, so that's what I get to do, and it's it's such an honor uh, to be able to do that. I also have a husband and two boys, and you know, so I just have that normal everyday mom life, you know, and um, and that's great too. So, and. Uh, Carrie, I, I just, 
first I want to I want to clarify something to you, everybody that's sitting here. Um, as you can see, the logo up there is this Cornerstone of Hope. Um, we've partnered with Cornerstone of Hope, um, and this isn't us promoting Cornerstone of Hope. This isn't why she's here. Um, I, I want to strip that right out of our, our consciousness now. She's here to speak into us and to speak into our community. Uh, we are going to get more and more information and resources from other agencies within our community, um, and uh, we want to tool and resource you with that. However, being the fact that she's a part of Cornerstone for Hope, we, we can't separate that. But I just want you to know, this isn't, this isn't us promoting Cornerstone of Hope. They're there and they're available, but there are all a lot of other options. And I just want to make that very, very Absolutely. clear today. Yeah. And so, um, Carrie, I, I, uh, I want to ask, on the f first I want to start off with this scripture, and then I want to ask a, a very particular question. So this scripture, this is in Philippians. This is Philippians chapter 4. Um, this is in the New Testament. We are going to reference scripture um, today, next week, and throughout the month because that's our center. Um, Jesus Christ is our center, and we're going to center ourselves in the scriptures. This scripture particularly will continue to come up over and over and over again as we talk about these things. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And again, I have to read over here because I haven't had my eyes checked in a while. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Pretty easy for Paul to say, right? Well, we must remember he was in prison at this time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whoops, did I miss one? I thought I had it up there. I'm, I'm sorry. Let's continue. My bad. If you're, if you're here ever, there, wait. If you're here at all for any length of period of time, you will know I will mess things up. We just embrace the awkward here. And so I will continue with that scripture because I thought I typed it in there. So my apologies. But Philippians chapter 4 continues, and this is where the actual meat of that text comes from, um, that we will continue to reference quite often. And this is what Paul says. He says, finally, brothers, sisters, everybody, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So first, Carrie, I I gotta ask. We I, I've briefly addressed it. Um, what are some of the stigmas out there about mental health, not only in society but also the church? Absolutely. So, a lot of times out in the community, and if you're in business or uh, working in any place, a lot of times that is viewed as weakness, right? If I have an anxious moment, if I have depression, um, if I'm not managing my grief within the three days I'm allowed to have <laughs> grief days, right, and then back at it, um, <laughs> if I'm not doing that well, then something in me is weak, and I can't possibly show that to anyone, nor could I actually vocalize that to anybody because they might think less of me. 
um, if that's the case. And we also, you find people minimizing, um, you know, Pastor Stephen was so good to, to really open up about his family and his history. And a lot of times people won't do that. They won't share because they think if I share with you that anybody in my family isn't like right up here and always doing great, then you're going to think less of me. And so we, we become a culture of isolation, right, where we do not connect with each other. We aren't honest. We are not vulnerable. We aren't very real with each other. So we present this facade that then we have to manage and keep up with. And you see this on social media. People present an image of themselves. Then they have to maintain it right? So you couldn't possibly have a rough day. But in the church, this shows up a little bit different. We're in, in the community and out in, in workplaces. You just don't want to appear weak. I think it's that way, though, in the church, too. It's I don't want to look spiritually weak, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I think there's this opinion um, or this, this unwritten rule that when you come in the door of the church building, church building i want to clarify that because you actually are the church it's not the building but when you come through the doors of the church building you have to remove the baggage the baggage stays at the door you come on in but the fact is jesus meets you where you are and the church also as the body of christ is to meet people where they are and i don't know where the disconnect occurred um, when it happened that you can't come in the church with your baggage I'm not sure either, because really, if you spend any time in God's Word at all, Old or New Testament, you're going to see some issues. Yeah. I mean, there, there's real-life stuff coming up. You you read anything in the Old Testament, they were dealing, I mean, Saul had incredible depression, right, that led him to do some very angry, hurtful things. You see David through the Psalms, every other Psalm, he's ticked off at somebody, you know, <laughs> or he's upset about something, yes. and he is just rawly presenting that to God. He is not mm -hmm. ashamed to get it out to his, his Father in heaven. And then you see in the New Testament, they were dealing with persecution. They were dealing with all kinds of difficult things. And somehow we've translated all that to just pull out the good scriptures that we're supposed to have a lot of faith and a lot of joy and never struggle. And that it doesn't really make sense when you look at God's word. It, it doesn't at all. Even Elijah himself was suicidal. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. There's a whole book that he wrote on lamenting and so mental health and those issues those anxieties are all throughout the text because very simply and plainly the bible is is a story of god is out to um, reclaim that which is rightfully his and that means people we are the culmination of god's creation and scripture is all about people and there's people all in scripture and so um, I'd like for us to start to move towards this, this aspect of, of us and God. And um, your dad is a, he's a very smart man. Yes, he is. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a physicist, he's a right? He's a physicist, yes. Um, yeah. And so this is, this is we're, we're not going to go over your head, seriously. This, this, we're maybe 20,000 feet, but we'll come down pretty quick. So um, what in the world is this? Because this is... Your dad taught you this a little yeah, bit. So what, what, can, can you kind of explain this a little I bit? I will, absolutely. So my dad is one of the most humble men I know, and he, and he absolutely loves the Lord with all his heart. But as a physicist, he looks at the world through that lens, and he reads scripture through that lens. And um, he, um, he was the dean of natural social sciences at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, and he spoke at the... Um, 
at a, a chapel service there, <laughs> they asked him to speak on chaos theory. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a great topic, right? And so um, I listened. I am chaos theory. Right, right. Yeah, and so yes. um, I, I listened to his talk, and, and it made so much sense because I had a professor in college who said, when you s recognize God in creation, you will recognize him more in your life. And I think that is so true. And so my dad helps me do that because um, in his field, he looks at the created world and tries to understand it through science, right? And so he teaches me more about God and how he, who God is for us. And the more I learn about God through creation, the more I learn about him more in my life. And so I wanted to share this with you uh, because I think this kind of sets up uh, sometimes where we come into church and what you were talking about, Pastor Stephen, where we come in and we think we got to have it together, right? We got to be all right. Um, but this, this maybe shows the hope that God can bring. So you see stage zero on here where it's a perfect triangle. Y'all know that. You can draw that. That's good, right? We can do that. That's very linear. That You're makes assuming sense. a lot of things there, Carrie. Uh, yes, I know. I have great faith in y'all. <laughs> so you can draw a triangle. Triangle is very linear, right? You connect the three dots, makes sense. So there was a scientist, his last name was Koch, and this is called the Koch theory, um, and it has to do with chaos theory, but um, so he started, they, they, as scientists, they were looking at an object, and it had all these different points around it, and they decided, you know what, okay, we see the three points, that makes a triangle, we get that. But then there's these like random points off of each line that just seem like chaos, they don't make sense. But when they started to connect those, you see over into stage one, those, the, the top of the triangles, those were the points that looked random, but when they connected them, it began to make a really incredible shape. And you go into stage two there, off of each of those smaller triangles, there were little dots randomly, and they thought, well, that's a lot more chaos. Not really. When you connected them, it was the same thing. It was repeating itself over and over. And into stage three, you see this object creates more depth and interest, and it becomes actually more beautiful, doesn't it? The more it goes, the more they looked at points of chaos that actually made sense and had order to them. And so in, in application of this, um, in, in the science world, they have what they call fractals. And fractals are basically this, it's like a snowflake. A lot of times, have you seen snowflakes that have repeating shapes over and over and over again? Well, those are kinds of fractals. And they, they start with a shape and they repeat you know, over and over. But it all started with looking like these points of random chaos until you connected them. Here's an image of, of a fractal. Isn't it beautiful? There's these amazing ones. Here's another one. This one's actually from nature. You see that out in creation places. And then there's one more. Just to show you this example of what these are like. Almost looks like a kaleidoscope, right? So we have, I have pictures of these in our office. And they're um, in, in one of our counseling rooms, um, because my dad, being a physicist, had fractal calendars, of course. And so I cut off the pictures and framed them. And I have clients ask me all the time, they're like, what are these? I'm so drawn to these. And I'm, I'm so, especially when I'm working with people with trauma, they said, I'm so, like, I get zoned into these. Why? What's drawing me in? I said, well, let me explain what this represents. You come in here, and you think that your life is in complete chaos. You had this happen, and that happens, and this is going on, and that is going on, and you have no idea how to find any order in it. But you have a God who is not intimidated by your situation. 
He is not intimidated by your past, your present, or your future. And he looks at it and he says, I can work all of this for good. I can bring something good out of this. I can redeem this. And all through scripture, you hear him saying, I am restoring you to who I meant you to be, right? He was always doing this with Israel. He said, he called them virgin Israel. He said, I'm, re I'm restoring you because I want you to be who I meant you to be. Mm -hmm. And all these things around you that seem like points of chaos, he says, that doesn't intimidate me. I see order there. I can bring good. I watch me do something through all of this that now you can say there's good in all this. And so that's what I believe God does through any mental health things that we're dealing with. He has a way to bring good out of all of it. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like life in and of itself, especially when, when we move from the, the natural type of stress, I mean, life has stress of its own, and there's good stress. But when we move into this ab abnormality, this abnormal stress or anxiety that, that starts to overwhelm us and keep us up at night um, or makes us sleep at day and really moves us out of our norm, that I do feel like it's chaos in, in, in our life. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in other people. Um, but the perspective that God has is different. And so what I've been learning, because, you know, I'm a bachelor's degree. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. I was in mental health for a year and a half and a uh, juvenile probation officer for about four and a half years. I've, I've sat in many, many sessions. But what I'm learning, um, based on your recommendations, because I've been reading quite a few things, what I'm learning is that God has designed us and wired us in a very particular way to move us from where we're feeling chaotic to, to order and health and wholeness. And so um, could, you speak into, um, could you speak into the way God has created us and designed us? And I guess maybe we'll, we'll start with this question um, because we hear this often when we're kids. Mind over matter. Is it really the mind over matter? Is it really the mind over the brain? Or is it the brain over the mind? So could you kind of unpack that a little bit? I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we know that God is our creator, right? And sometimes I think we forget that he actually created our brains. And there's a lot that we didn't understand about our brains for a long time. And I think that maybe why sometimes when you read scripture um, that people aren't connecting dots to how it applies today but through neuroscience what they're learning about the brain and the way the brain is wired it's making a lot more sense neuroscience is actually backing up god's word it's almost like science is like oh yeah god was right all along <laughs> imagine that right and so um, so one of the things that I, I think is so important for us to understand is actually how God wired your brain. Because once you know this, you can't read scripture the same. It's so cool. So one of the ways that they used to think about our brain is that it was stuck. Like whatever you thought, however it was, it was just kind of stuck that way, right? And you were just in for it. But what they're finding is that that's not true, that our brains have what's called neuroplasticity, which means that when something happens and your brain has always gone on a certain pathway, right? So like, let's say something happens that always brings you anxiety, so you always go to that thought, right? Mm -hmm. 
So what happens then is that they're finding if when that comes up, if you can think about it a different way, if you will acknowledge what you feel and allow yourself to ask some questions about it, to investigate it, or to shift your thinking purposefully to a different direction, you can take that rise up and actually make it go a different way in your brain, which creates a whole new pathway in your mind. And every time you go that new way, you decrease the old way. And so what they're finding is you can actually change the makeup of your brain. So let me let me let me ask a question because I'm a really simple guy. Because if, if if it's not simple, I don't get it. How many of you take the same um, route to work or church every single day? Raise your hand. Same route. Same route every day. All right. So what she's saying that the brain we what they used to think, and this was back in the 80s, correct? This is this is this is 1980s, early 90s. They used to think that your brain was wired in such a way that you could only take that same path all the time. There's no, there's no moving out of that path, that direction. So essentially, if you imagine your way to work or the way to church as a negative pathway, they would think that that was the only pathway you could take. Mm -hmm. However, we've done this here on Sunday night where I, I've asked some of our folks what I'd like for you to do is drive through our community in different routes and see what you can see so that you can begin to pray differently over our community because you often just kind of glare and I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know what I saw. But you can, and they actually begin to see different things in our community. So essentially what you're saying is mm -hmm. you're not stuck. You're not. Your mind and your brain are not stuck. It's malleable. It's like Play-Doh. Mm -hmm. But you, so how do we, how do we unstuck it? Like, how I, do we I, unstick I don't, it? I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's actual <laughs> good language. It, it works. I didn't do very well in grammar. No, it works. How do we it unstuck works. it? Absolutely. So one of the things I want to, I want to help you understand too is that God knew all along he made our brains neuroplastic, right? I mean, he knew this, and science is like, oh, okay, I guess we're catching up. So you see in Scripture, all through the Old and New Testament, you hear the phrase, God is the one who makes all things new, right? He makes all things new. He's redeeming. He makes all things new. That includes your brain. He does that. He makes your wiring new. Isn't that good news? Praise God for that. So how do we do this? Um, and that's going to be, that's going to, we're not going to get through all that today, okay? Some of that's going to be <laughs> some, for, some for next week. Um, <laughs> I don't want you to leave here like, whoa, that was a little too much, right? <laughs> but, um, but one of the things we do is, um, is we, we realize that all truth is God's truth. So when we understand what, what science is communicating about our brains and what the tools are that God has actually equipped us with to manage our thoughts and our emotions, then we start to heal. So, for instance, um, one of the things that is very, very important, and we'll talk about this even more next week, is how God wired your brain. You have an amygdala, 
and that's that's between your ears. Um, you have one on each side, and uh, it's about the shape of an almond, okay? So um, actually, that is what amygdala means, in case you're wondering. It is Latin for Seriously? almond-shaped, yes. When scientists finally figured it out, isn't good. that awesome? I know. <laughs> when scientists <laughs> finally cut open a brain, and we're like, okay, we know where they are, haven't seen them yet, um, and they're like, oh, there they are. And you know, you think scientists are going to be like, let's call it something deep, right? And no, they're like, let's just, those are almond-shaped. That's it. Let's call them amygdala, right? Like, that makes sense. That's so how I would name things. Uh, absolutely. By food. By yes, yes, absolutely. So you have these amygdala, and they really, that's your, that's your, um, the part of your body that really works to keep you safe, okay? So it's where your fight or flight is, right? Mm. So um, if, um, if you're, uh, let's say you're standing out in the parking lot today, and a car begins to come towards you because they don't see you, naturally your blood's going to start pumping, your heart's going to go faster. It's going to get your body ready to fight or flee the scene to keep you safe right? That works for us. But sometimes our brains get a little hyperactive, right? And so we view this um, conversation with somebody at work as if it is life-threatening, right? And so we go into fight or flight. And so that triggers something in us and then you have your limbic system, which is right between your, your um, temples. That's the part of your brain that feels emotion, right? So we go from a trigger from your amygdala to feeling something, right? To feeling emotion. And usually what we do right then is just react, right? We react. We shut down. We fight somebody. We say hurtful things. We go to something negative, a coping skill or something, right? Throat punch. Yes. So, right. And so we do that. And, and what's so sad, and I think what breaks the heart of God, is that we are not using our full brain when we do that. Because we have this part up here. This is called your frontal lobe. And this is the part of the brain that has truth. It helps you reason. It's the part of your brain that thinks through things and makes meaning. And when we don't apply hmm. that part of our brain, we live out of reaction. Have you ever seen people, or maybe you yourself, I won't ask for hands, have <laughs> lived out of reaction, right? Something comes up, something stirs emotion in us, and we react right? Because we often operate only using that part of our brain. We don't engage the frontal lobe. And so um, what happens too is in this part of your brain where you feel emotion, there is no language in that part of your brain. So mm -hmm. all it does is feel. When you engage your frontal lobe, that's the part of your brain that actually has language. So when I have an emotion, when I'm feeling something inside, when I can actually say, what is going on inside of me? Before I react, if I can calm that down and say, what's going on? I'm really, I am feeling really insecure right now. That's what's going on. My insecurity is really there. All of a sudden, I've engaged my frontal lobe because it now has language. Now I can communicate that. I can talk about it. I can talk to God about it. I can investigate that, and I can learn what to do about it or how to change the way I was thinking about a situation. So if I show you with my hands, this is your amygdala, right? Okay? And this is your frontal lobe. All right? So it protects. It gets it back under control. But well, sometimes when your amygdala yeah. flares, it flips your lid. Right? And you, it, it just flips your lid, and it's just like, I'm just, here I am, and we're going to just react. Right? We need to get safe. This is, I call it your freak out part of your brain. Right? It's the part that's like, we need to freak out right now. Right? Instead, <laughs> this, this part is the part that God has given us. This is, let's bring it back under control. Let's bring it back under truth. Let's 
um, investigate this from a whole different way. And really next week we'll dive into a little bit more about how we actually do that and really how we apply that Philippians 4 verse that we read um, from Paul. Paul is a cognitive behavioral therapist. I'm quite sure he and I in heaven are going to have a lot of great conversations. <laughs> but um, that uh, scripture, we're going to really talk <laughs> about how do you apply that. But when you're asking about what do we do, how do we get unstuck, is part of his understanding how God wired us. Because then when we look at scripture like Philippians 4, it's going to make a lot of sense what he's talking about. And he's all through scripture, God is really saying there are tools for you to use to engage your frontal lobe, to get this calm down, to, to use just even your physically, your body, the things I've created in you to manage this in a way that you feel like you have some more control over life rather than you feel like just life controls you and you just react. You, you had mentioned something um, pre-service that was really interesting. You had mentioned that uh, there's a statistic. That I think it was like, didn't you say like 75%? 70%. 70% of adults or people, um, they don't know how to identify what they're feeling. That's and that's where, and I'm assuming, so I'm learning with you. I'm assuming that when, they, when we don't know how or we don't identify what we're feeling, that's flipping the lid and we're literally reacting and the fact is that um, reflection on your emotion and what you're feeling in the moment allows us and so please correct me if I'm wrong allows us to go down a different path and create new neuronal pathways right. or as Paul says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So essentially, um, in being able to become aware of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, and taking that moment of reflection, we can begin to choose differently and change That's right. the essentially the, the actual brain yep. structure itself. Absolutely. So... God has created us, and th this, is, this, this blew my mind, that your choices matter. What you choose and what you choose to think on matters. Because you literally can change your brain, the physical structure of your brain, by taking captive the thoughts that you have in creating new neuronal pathways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right. So I read a quote that said, you have to give your brain something to do or it will find something to do. Mine finds a lot right? of things to and do. And it does. Our brains naturally go a lot of, <laughs> lot of places, right? Yeah. But, but in Scripture, and we're going to look through a lot of this, God says, I'm going to share with you where to tell your brain to go. There's wisdom in His Word. It says, go these places and there will be peace. There's a promise that peace comes when you, when you direct your brain to thinking that way. It also is why God's word says meditate on my word day and night, right? Give your brain something to focus on. Uh, one of the things that breaks my heart the most is we live in a culture where people are getting away from reading God's word. They want self-help self -help books, mm -hmm. but they won't read his word. 
And there is something so powerful about taking a passage of scripture and just reading it and saying, God, help me get my brain around this. Let me ask questions about it. What's going on in this passage? Is there anything you want to say to me in this scripture? Because it gives your brain a place to go that can actually change the wiring inside. And one of the things that we will talk about next week, because next week, we, we're referring a lot to next week, but um, I want us to sit in present as well. But um, next week, we're really going to dive into anxiety, um, stress, depression, and suicidal ideation. Um, and, uh, but with that said, um, you can begin today to move forward and begin to create, um, actually actively create something new in you through meditating on the Word of God and through thinking on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, we think on those things. Gratitude is something that we're going to talk about deeply because gratitude actually begins to when you are grateful when you are thankful when you give praise you begin to open your literally your brain to newness so if you look at the structure of a worship service one of the things we start out with is praise in worship, we're redirecting. We literally are doing what Scripture tells us to do and redirect our minds and our brains so that we are open for transformation. Is that? And interestingly enough, they've actually done research on the topic of gratefulness. And so science now is like, oh, it really does make a difference, right? They've, they've discovered that people who are intentionally grateful and make it a point to be very intentional about that, that they absolutely, it has a, um, it can minimize anxiety, it can minimize depression. And they, they've written books on this, you know, of, of the impact of this. Well, where did that come? I mean, God's word, he told us to do this, right? He said, I want you to do this, not because I am just a God who's going to give you all these commands. His, his word is full of purpose. He does not do things without purpose. He does not give us commands without purpose. Everything in there is full for our good so that he says I want what is best for you would you please listen to it pick it up trust me that it will absolutely bring you to the place that he longs for you to be so we're going to kind of begin to wrap up here real quick and this is scripture from Hebrews um, it says now faith is, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see Hope is always future-oriented. If you think about guilt, shame, those are regret, those are always looking backward and bringing choices that we've made or situations that we've experienced by our own hand or by someone else's, bringing it back up into present and essentially driving down the same street, right? Um, but hope is future-oriented and that we are projecting and, and understanding that there is a future and that there is a goodness that can happen. So one of the things that we want to do is tool you 
because there is hope to heal. Hopefully you've heard some of those things today that you are not stuck. You may feel it. You may look at your life and your situation and go, I am stuck. I don't know what Carrie's talking about. I don't know what Ambrose is talking about. I'm stuck. God has wired you in such a way to say that you're not. You're not stuck. There is hope to heal. And so you gave me this equation um, back at your, 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 uh, your shop. Uh, can you explain this and then move this into what resource we're going to give them today? And Absolutely. So with hope, uh, you have to have a goal. If, I mean, hope, it, it doesn't make sense if you don't have a, a, a specific goal for it, right? What do you need hope for? What is it in your life that you're saying, I really need some hope in that area, right? What is your goal? What is it that you want to be different, right? You have to know that. Then you have to have a pathway. What is, what am I going to do to get there? Am I, am I going to, am I going to really investigate God's word in this? Am I going to talk to someone? Am I going to, what is going to be my pathway to get there? What is the, um, what is kind of that plan? And then you have to have agency, and this is the interventions to get you there right? This is the, the nuts and bolts of what do I do? So it's not, hope is not this out there like, well, it's just going to happen <laughs> like that, right? It's something that we have a goal and we have, okay, I, I got kind of a plan, but now I need the exact tools to get there, right? And that's what God gives. Um, and, and that's why hope matters and makes a difference. So we have put a few things in your hands today. Um, there's a, a large sheet. Uh, this sheet, if you wouldn't mind pulling that out. Oh, no, leave that there. Um, this is something Carrie had, had sent me um, to give to you, and she's not going to go through the whole sheet. Um, but breathing has a whole lot to do with reshaping your body. Uh, I was reading about this last night. I'm a mouth breather. Anybody a mouth breather? <laughs> Yeah, I'm a mouth breather. You know what a mouth breather is, especially at night. My wife, she has noisemakers because I'm a mouth breather. But I'm learning that um, mouth breathing doesn't allow you to get all the oxygen and nitrous oxide, I believe, that you need for your body. But if you breathe through your nose and out of your nose, um, slowly, you're getting all the oxygen. You're pumping your, your cells, even on a cellular level, you're pumping your cells full of oxygen and those things that it needs. When you're a mouth breather, <sighs> Darth Vader, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. So you've provided us some, some <laughs> sorry. The Darth <laughs> you've, Vader, that's great. <laughs> you've provided us some, some basic tools. So if you wouldn't mind, just pick a couple of those that. Absolutely. So. You know, in, in Genesis, it says God breathed life in, right? So this, this topic of breathing is something God-given. But it's something, y'all do it, or you wouldn't be here. I mean, you're, you're breathing. You've been breathing through this whole thing, so you're know. good at it, right? I think some of them look a little pale. Yeah, they're breathing, right? You're, <laughs> you did something to, to, you know, to be kicking here. So. Um, so that's good, but it's something we don't pay attention to, right? And uh, in Second Peter, this is the verse at the bottom of that sheet, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, wholeness and holiness, right? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So because he is the giver of breath, 
um, this is something that we don't pay attention to, and it, it is one of the most simple things I think God says, oh, but I gave this to you. Why won't you use this? Please use what I gave you. So I want to teach you how to actually breathe in a way that is actually calming. So remember we talked about when, when your amygdala flips your lid, right? When you have this <laughs> raise up of emotion and you're feeling things. Um, one of the best things to be able to engage your frontal lobe is to, to take control back over your amygdala. And I'm going to teach you two ways, uh, the best ways to actually do that. Um, that God is, and these are just with you're already equipped with them. God created you with these things to do, okay? So one of the first ones is uh, called 478 breathing. This is super simple. So what it means is you breathe in for four counts, you hold it for seven, oh. and you breathe out for eight. Please now, don't pass out. Yeah, don't pass out. So here's, l let me give you a couple little caveats to this. No if you feel like holding for seven is like, I can't do this, We're, that's, causing you more stress, okay? Not helpful. So just We've adjust. We've come to church to cause more right, stress. Right, right. Just adjust. Do it for five, right? And if breathing out for eight, you're like, oh, I can't get any more out, right? That's obviously causing you stress, so back it up. Breathe out for six. Do four, five, six until you can do four, seven, eight, okay? There's, there's not, like, you're not going to fail because you couldn't get that. I prefer four, five, six myself. That just works better for me. But, um, the reason this is, and I want to tell you, under, again, from um, a biological understanding, when you breathe out longer than you breathe in, your shoulders drop. And when your shoulders drop, they have found that the farther your shoulders are from your amygdala, the calmer your amygdala will get, right? Because it's like, oh. I guess we're okay. Because you when you're Are you serious? No, I'm serious. When you're stressed, wow. you're actually, how many cool. of you recognize you already get, you're getting tense, right? This is tense. You're getting ready to fight or flight. This is the way I feel every Sunday right? before I preach yeah. a sermon, right okay. here. Yeah, so right y'all have there, to man. be like Pastor Stephen, you gotta <laughs> breathe. Um, <laughs> so this is, it's again, it's amazing. Who knew? God knew how he made us. Don't dislocate your shoulders so you yeah. can droop even further, yeah, please. Absolutely. Just you, the farther you can drop them, the calmer you will feel. It is your way, a God-given way, to take control back of your brain so that you can actually think the way he intends for you to think. So here we go. Now, if we don't practice this, you're going to leave here this. and be like, she talked about some weird breathing thing, but we never try it. You won't believe me that it works, okay? Let's try this. So here we go. I'm going to count for you, and we have you breathe in. We'll do four, five, six, so nobody passes out on us, all right? Sit up straight. Here we go. You ready? All right, so breathe <laughs> in for four counts. Ready? One, two, three, four. You hold for five. One, two, three, four four, five, and breathe out for six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Could you see their shoulders going down, or were you focused? I was focusing on me. Sorry, on my bad. So, no. Not a good shepherd today. No, that's <laughs> oh, you are. You're leading by example. <laughs> but I watched your shoulders go down. Now, let me tell you, if you will do this about five times in a row, when you have that surge of emotion come up, if you will do it about five times in a row, it will take you less than one minute. And in less than one minute, God's, hmm. him cre our creator giving us the ability to breathe in deeply, hold it and breathe out long, you will feel a sense of calm come over you. Now, I can't hmm. guarantee it'll be all the way down to zero, like I got no cares in the world, but you can do that. Now, I would tell you, practice this. Don't wait. 
for just that to come. When you drive in the car, practice this. Make it a form of prayer where you breathe in and, and you hold it and you breathe out and you can pray during that. But that is absolutely one of the easiest ways to begin to calm things down. The second one is to use your muscles, okay? So we already talked about when you're stressed, you get tense, right? We get more tense when our emotions are kicking up. We get more tense because we're ready to fight or flight. So again, we need to take control back of, of our, our bodies and our, our, our brains. So this is gonna sound really weird, but what I'm gonna tell you is to actually make yourself more tense, which everybody looks at me like, what, what now? It's pretty easy. Uh, right? Yeah. So if you're yeah. already tense, this is where you actually make yourself more tense. You tense up every muscle in your body and it should feel uncomfortable for about five seconds, okay? And then you start at your head and you go down to your toes and you slowly relax the parts of your body just from your head down to your toes. And let's just try this real quick, okay? You ready? So go ahead and make yourself really, really tense. Should be <laughs> uncomfortable. Nobody's watching you, so just do it, right? <laughs> They're watching us, right? We're yeah. Not, yeah. Okay, so start at your head. I want you to just slowly relax the muscles in your face and your jaw. Let your face just kind of fall. And then relax the muscles in your neck and your shoulders. Let those drop. Should we breathe? Sure. Okay. Just, just checking. And then relax the <laughs> muscles in your arms and your hands. And let those fall in your lap or to your side. And then the muscles in your chest and your stomach. Blow the air out. And then the muscles in your backside and your legs, your upper legs. Just let them kind of fade into the, into the pew. And then the muscles in your lower legs and your feet. So you kind of feel like your feet are just heavy on the floor. And then take a deep breath in. And out. You know what you just did? What's that? You gave everybody understanding of the muscles that they do not use on a daily basis. That's exactly what you just learned. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Many of you are having muscle aches right now because mm -hmm. you've never used those muscles in yeah. your entire life. No, I'm just kidding. But why this works is it's God saying, I gave you this. I gave you your muscles. Please use them. Mm. Use them in a way that I can help you calm things down so we can work together to get your thoughts going where they need to go or to make a decision about what to do next that we need to do. So, yeah. again, you're already tense, so make your s get more because you're, you're now in control. Does that make sense? And then when you relax it, you're in control. And you can do that a couple times. Those are two of the fastest ways I can teach you. And both take less than one minute. A lot of times we live way up here in stress all the time. Like once it hits, we just stay there. And yet God has given us tools that in less than a minute we could reduce that, right? And to be more at a place where we can um, bring in what we know of his truth into our situation, which I'll teach you a little bit more how to do next week. So I, uh, I can attest, and we're going to wrap up here. I can attest to the breathing because I've actually been really stressed out about this. Um, this whole month of mental health. Actually, last night I, I, I came to a heightened of an anxiety. Like, man, I'm really nervous about tomorrow. Um, and uh, so I actually went to one of these breathing techniques, and I started doing it myself. And I can tell you what, I started to feel a little bit more calm. Um, couple things that you will notice out on the table. There's a few things that I, I want to bring to your attention. Each week, um, as of next week, we're going to talk about depression and anxiety and stress and uh, suicidal ideation. The following week um, will be grief and loss. 
And uh, the last week we're going to talk about developing courage and resiliency. Um, you were wired to be courageous and resilient and to develop that in you. Um, it can be developed in you. We are providing you some resources. There's some books out there. You also had another handout that's in your um, bulletin. Each week we want to provide you some resources and some tools. Um, the books that are out there are, have been recommendations not only from Carrie, but also Carissa. Um, she's a, a school um, social worker, as well as myself. Some books that I have read that have been really, really helpful. Um, those are at cost. Um, some of them are new, some of them are used, but they're at cost, what it pretty much cost us um, to purchase. If you can't afford that, that's fine. We want to we wanna equip you. Uh, we're not in this to make a buck. Um, so if you can pay a dollar of 12, that's fine. Just, that's okay. Uh, there are going to be more materials and resources coming our way. There's a lot of those books that are on, uh, are, that are, you can listen to for free. If you have a library card to your local Y, or not Y, a library card to your local Y, that, that's really good. Uh, a library card for your local Y, you can download the app Hoopla. Did I say that again? I am not being very mindful of myself today. Self-awareness is not what I have today. Yes, you, you understand what I'm saying. You can download the app Hoopla and you can begin to listen to some of these books audibly um, so you don't have to pay for them, and they're free. Uh, we want to equip you with as much as possible. Um, I have a, a friend that came through the door today um, that uh, I, I'd like to introduce to you as well before we get out of here. Um, and uh, Chad, if, uh, would, you, would you mind coming up? Is that all right? I'm going to snag your microphone if that's all right. Um, this is my friend, Chad Dunlap. He didn't. Hello. <laughs> I appreciate you. I, I actually asked Chad. Um, Chad's part of the Suicide Coalition of Auglaize County, along with myself. And I, I, I thought your talk was yesterday. And he said, no, it's Tuesday. So could you briefly um, promo uh, what, you're, what you're going to do on Tuesday? Okay, well, it'll be at Anytime Fitness here in town at 6 o'clock Tuesday evening. Uh, really, I... I I kind of tell you, I start by telling a little bit about, about my life, uh, my, my childhood. There was, there was lots of trauma, um, and, and, and I talk on to that, and I talk about an incident of finding my, my best friend who had taken his own life. He called me. By the time I made it to his home, he was gone. Um, we, we talked through that, but, but my, my main focus is realizing this gift that we have called life and how precious it is, you know, talking on, on moments. You know, I, I'll give you a little a, a piece of it. You know, what, what's the greatest moment in your life? So many of us think back into the past, and, and, and memories are, are wonderful things. However, the greatest moment in our life is this very moment. You know, this is precious. You know, and, and you think that, that moments are gifts, right? I mean, everything that we have here is a gift. So many times we start living our lives trying to look for the gifts. You know, we, we, we think that it's, it's things or it's moments. You know, life is the gift. So many times we start looking for things to be blessed with. Guys, we're blessed in this moment. If you, if you really want to start looking at that, this is my gift. Everyone in this room is a gift to me today. And if we break things down that way, you start to realize how precious this life really is. It's not about things. It's not about what we drive, where we live, how much money we make. Those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. 
but the gift is this moment. Yeah. You know, and, and that's my main focus. It's not on, it's not all on suicide. People think, oh, it's a suicide awareness. It's going to be depressing. It, it, it is. You know, I, I take you to a, a dark place to, to reel you back in. I, I call it, you know, I wade out into my dark water every day and I grab myself, gather myself back up and pull myself back into mm. shore. Life's about pulling yourself back into shore right. on a daily basis. Right. I, I could talk forever, but yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's Tuesday, so it's this coming Tuesday, 6 o'clock. Yes, it's at Anytime Fitness. It's in a back room. The last one that I did, I don't really, I don't ever force this on anyone. You know, it, again, it's not just about if you've struggled with suicide to, to, to come to this. I, I try to share that, that this life's a gift. Yeah. And, and it, I, I hope that, you know, it, it's not about reaching everyone in the room. Yeah. That's never been my focus. It's about that one. Mm. If, if I can help one person what I've come here to do is, is, has succeeded. So, yeah, I, I, I could talk forever, but yes, yeah. thank you. And as you can tell, Chad is very passionate, um, and he's got a wonderful, heart-wrenching, but restoring story. There is restoration, and that's, that's what we're about. That's what God is about. And so this is Tuesday, 6 o'clock, over at Anytime Fitness, and, and I, I challenge you. He, he shared a story with my wife and I on the sidewalk out in front of the WAC and Winans. And man, I, I just, I reeled and had to pause after listening to his story. So I challenge you this, this Tuesday, Anytime Fitness, six, six o'clock in the evening, not a.m. Absolutely. In the so evening. would you please stand? Would you please stand? And uh, I'd like to pray over you. And then uh, Heavenly Father, you are the God of life. And you can unstuck, unstick those of us that are stuck. You want to breathe that life into us so that we may, we may be able to experience newness and joy and peace and completeness. And that can really, truly only happen in relationship, not religion, in relationship with Jesus Christ, our God and our Creator. So I ask for every one of us that is here today that they, we open ourselves to you and begin to believe that, you know what? I can be transformed. I can be made new. So Lord, help us choose those things. Help us choose to think differently capture our thoughts and be made new in the image of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. We'll be here next week. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. Invite someone next week and bring yourself back. We love you.